Playback. Welcome back, everyone, to Q Playback. Uh, my guest today, uh, their voice has been described as a truly uh, astonishing voice uh, in Rolling Stone, nonetheless, and Soul Stirring by Dave Howe from Triple J. Uh, I'd like to welcome Anna Smirk. Hi. Um, so, Anna, I, I became aware of your music a while back, mostly through um, social media. Um, how, how big a part do you think social media is playing in your music world these days? Because you're also touring a lot and mm. you have been releasing music for a while now. It's a good question. Um, I feel like my feelings about social media and how important it is, you know, for my music um, kind of ebbs and flows. <laughs> and there's times where I feel like it's really important and I um, want to be really on top of it and posting a lot and having like a really strong strategy around it. Um, and there's times when I see it more of um, almost like an auxiliary to the to the other, you know, other parts of trying to build an audience around touring and releasing music. Um, and I think it's prob- both, both of those things are probably true at different sort of times in mm. the cycle of releasing music and touring and things like that. But um, yeah, it's, it's something I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, as I think a lot of musicians do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, you've got a new single coming out very soon called January Makes Me Sad and some touring dates. Uh, we will have a chat about them later. But right now, I want to know uh, what got you into music in the first place. When was that first moment that it uh, became something of a love in your life mm. that you couldn't put down? Uh, pretty young, I guess. Um, there was a lot of music around when I was growing up. My dad played um, in in some rock and roll cover bands and there was always kind of a guitar around the house. So I think music was sort of part of my childhood. Um, my first instrument was actually the violin and that sort of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I think I might've seen someone playing violin on TV or something. And then I sort of begged my parents for months until they um, agreed to let me get this tiny little kind of quarter size violin and um, some lessons. Um, but I actually, I think I just fell in love with it and I kept playing violin all through school and, um, you know, played in orchestras and, and ensembles and things like that. Um, so I think that was sort of my gateway, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it was a little bit later, I guess, when I was in my, um, early teens, um, that I started to sort of teach myself a few chords on the guitar that was, you know, hanging around the house. And that's when I started to experiment with writing songs. Um, and that was a whole nother, I think, level of falling in love with it that mm-hmm. I realized I could, um, yeah, say things I wanted to say through music um, and I've just kind of never stopped writing songs since then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like that uh, point of self-expression was really important because uh, where, uh, as much as I love classical music, where your music is now is certainly not classical music. No, not at all. <laughs> um, does the violin ever still come out at shows or anything anymore? Or? Not played by me. <laughs> it's the kind of instrument, I guess, like, you know, if you're not really putting the work in, you lose those chops pretty quickly. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't really play the violin these days, but I do work with a really great violinist. So occasionally I'll have, you know, an idea for a, for a part for violin and I'm lucky to have him. He can, he can Mm. pull it off for me. (laughs) Outsourcing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so when was the first time you thought about recording? What, what was your first experience of recording? 
my first experience of recording was um, I won a competition um, when I was in high school. Um, I played in a, in a band with a couple of friends and we won a Battle of the Bands competition in my little country yeah. town. And the prize was, um, you know, a day in a, in a local recording studio. Mm. So um, we went and, and recorded that, that, like, one song that we'd written together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this whole kind of world, I guess, you know, walking into the studio for the yeah, first time. Yeah. It feels super intimidating but also super exciting. And um, I guess that was, yeah, the first time I'd, I'd encountered it. And what was the end result of that? Was that thrilling? Was it disappointing? Because it's quite a confronting mm. process to go through the very first time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think I'd say there was a certain amount of disappointment um, involved in it because it's probably my first taste of, you know, that um, realising that in this process... Um, getting to a a point where you're 100% happy with what you're putting down is kind of impossible. (laughs) There's always going to be things that you'd be like, oh, I kind of now I wish looking back on it that I'd done this this differently. um, So I think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the song that we recorded, if I I I have no idea where it would be now, but um, I'm sure if I heard it now, I'd think it was awful. But um, in terms of the experience itself, um, it was, yeah, I think it was a really good start, but I, I, I do remember feeling, you know, that I wanted to have done a better job. I guess um, mm. I've always kind of had this little perfectionist streak. And, well, um, I was just yeah. going to ask that. Do you come off stage thinking about all of the things that you you missed or the chord changes you slipped? Yeah. Or do you, have you got, you got used to sort of rolling with the punches, as it were, for live gigs? Yeah, I think I've gotten a little better at rolling with the punches, but I think, yeah, my, my friends and family will are always telling me that I'm, um, yeah, too too hard on myself after a live gig and focusing too much on the negatives. Um, so I'm, I think I've gotten a little bit better over the years at focusing on the positives and not fixating on those, like, small little details, mm. you know, and I think, yep. and, you know, realising that most people in an audience will really appreciate the overall kind of vibe and they're they're looking for something different than every single tiny detail being perfect. I think yeah. that's been a good realisation. I remember years ago I had a chest infection in the middle of um, a residency mm. I was doing with one of my bands and all I could hear was the lack of power in my voice and you come off stage and people are like, that was great and um, you're like, didn't, but didn't you notice? Didn't you, oh, yep. like, I, I want it to be better. It's like, I didn't even think Didn't even hear a difference. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's always the way. Um, so we've got uh, your most recent EP, Cortisol and Blue Light. Mm. Um, that's sort of a, uh, quite a transition or quite a progression from where you started out with um, your own recorded uh, music. 2016, we've got... Um, Song of the Silver Tongued Magpie. Now, was was that the first thing you'd released um, completely, or were there other bands that you had before then? Or? Yeah, there were some other bands before mm. then. Um, so there was, you know, a few kind of projects where I was writing songs with some other, um, with some friends when I was sort of in my late teens, early twenties, um, and we did a little bit of recording and sort of self-releasing. Um, you know, a few tracks here and there. Um, and then for a few years, I was sort of playing under the name Anna Smirk and the Appetites, and that was a bit more of like a, a band project, but where I was kind of the lead songwriter. Mm. Um, so we 
recorded an EP um, and released that as well. Um, but yeah, as I sort of, you know, developed what I wanted to do as a songwriter and wanted to have the option of having different instrumentation and arrangements and options to play with a full band or more stripped back solo and things like that, I um, that's kind of where I where I landed mm. with the just just doing it under the solo name um and that's when i that's when i released song of the silver tongue magpie yeah Yeah, it can be a tricky one for for performers uh because if you're trying to do as many shows as possible Mm. having songs and um, the ability to switch up lineups to cater for different events uh it's really important um uh, coming from more of an indie rock background myself sometimes the thought of uh, having taking a four or five piece rock band into a cafe right. <laughs> probably isn't yeah. going to work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, with uh, Song of the Silver-Tongued Magpie, it's definitely more on the folk end yes. of um, writing. And we uh, get up to um, the hour between us and it's definitely got more of a rock feel. And then with this most recent single, there's more of a um, a pop folk etiquette to it. Mm. Um, is this something that's happened for you just organically as you've been exploring different ways of um, writing for yourself? Um, or is it, did you feel that you almost had to um, satiate a market? Australia can be very rock. Mm. Um, and... Uh, I guess in some ways can be limited by that. Mm. Um, how, how did that all come about for you? Um, it was a pretty deliberate decision to sort of experiment with that shift in style. Um, it was actually sort of a bit of a pandemic thing, really. I had been playing in much more of a folky style for a few years and I'd had a, I had a bunch of, you know, folk festivals and small kind of folk um, gigs booked throughout 2020. Um, and then obviously everything changed and I'd already sort of been thinking before then that um, as much as I really love, you know, that folk real singer-songwriter um, acoustic kind of instrument style, um, it, I, I'd already realised that it, that wasn't something I wanted to do forever. I didn't mm. want to sort of get stuck in that little pigeonhole, I guess. Um, and I think part of that, you know, in the back of my mind... Um, part of that probably was a, a decision about the market um, to some extent. I think first and foremost it was like a creative decision that mm. I wanted to explore different styles and different sounds um, because I loved listening to folk music but I also love lots of other styles as well. So I wanted to sort of broaden things for myself. But I think there was an awareness there that, um, you know, there's an amazing folk music scene in Australia but in terms of sort of making a career out of it, it's it's tricky in yeah. that in that world it's tricky in any world but mm. especially there um so I, I think when I decided to make a bit of a shift that was like an added bonus that I was like well that's going to open me up to people who you know don't necessarily like mm. folk music but might like my songwriting if it's in a different yeah. sort of yep. context so yeah and I think um you know as songwriters trying to share ideas and how you dress them I think that's a legitimate way to explore um, how you connect with people. For sure. Uh, but what were the influences you were listening to around the time of uh, that first EP? Um, that first EP, you know, I I started songwriting um, when I was listening. I grew up listening to a lot of 
like folk singer songwriters from the 60s and 70s, okay, you know, yep. Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and Bob Dylan and that kind of thing. So I think that was sort of seeping into that first EP. Um, Gillian Welch was a huge yep. influence um, at that time um, and sort of, yeah, those kind of folk um What's the right word to describe them? There's almost kind of a chamber folk scene um, mm. with bands like Crooked Still that I really loved. Um, so I think that was that was what I was probably listening to at the time of that first EP. Yeah, yeah definitely got an earthy sound and feels like people in a room together. Yes, uh, that's what we were going for, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, now, I was listening through to uh, some of the songs and one thing that sort of stuck out to me was... Um, the passage of time as a theme seems to be recurring mm. in your songs. Uh, Daylight Savings, was it uh, Don't Set Your Clock Back? Uh, yeah, yeah. And don't tell your clock back. Live Slow and Die Old. Yeah. Nice. Firstly, I was intrigued by why is that something that's come back to you time and again? Mm. That, was yeah. that was terrible. Nice God. little pun. Very good. Um, but also, how did you cope during COVID? Because COVID really uh, put the screws on for everyone mm. with how we spend our time. Can we spend it inside? Can right. we spend it in lockdown? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll just throw those questions yeah. your way. And... Um, yeah, good. You got me on the on the time thing. It's always kind of a preoccupation that seems to come out again and again in my songwriting. Um, I don't know. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a hang up I have. I think about this idea of sort of not having enough time or running out of time, um, and you know, it's something that I, um, I just find that I'm thinking about all the time. So it comes out in my songwriting. Um, I don't know if that's a product of the the fact that I juggle quite a few different things in my life mm. alongside music. Um, and I want to be sort of doing them all at the same time. And, mm. and I wish there was, you know, twice as many hours in the day most of the time. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, and then, yeah, when lockdowns and the pandemic was happening, it was a funny thing for me, that sense of time and how that shifted because the few years before that had been absolutely flat out between touring um, and travelling a lot with my other work um, and 2020 was set for, to be the same. I had heaps of travel planned for that year and when I suddenly couldn't, there was almost a bit of relief around it right, that like yeah. suddenly I had all this time back mm. that I could choose what I wanted to do with and I didn't have to be squeezing everything in around all these commitments that I had already made. Mm. Um so, you know, obviously it was a really difficult time and I don't want to, you know, make light of how tough it was to have all those things cancelled and everything, all the plans completely decimated mm. that you spend so much time putting together. But the bright side of it for me was that I suddenly had time and space to um, to really figure out what I wanted to do and that's really where that main kind of shift in style came about because I suddenly had time to do a bit more exploring and a bit more experimenting mm. and figuring out like what I wanted to sound like for the next record. So, and uh, now you're right back into it with uh, the the day job and the touring. That's right. Um, was only like a few weeks ago that you were at the was it? How do you say this one? Fleury. Um, I mess it up every time. I think it's Fleurio. Fleurio Folk <laughs> Festival, yeah. um, which 
I had to Google because I was like, what the hell? And, <laughs> and so apparently the area that the festival was held in was discovered by Charles Pierre Claret de Fleurio, mm-hmm. a, a French explorer. There you go. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, discovered after having been lived on by First Nations people for there you go. thousands of yeah. years. <laughs> um, so how, how was that experience? And, I mean, you, you've become a little bit of a mainstay of folk festivals <laughs> over the last, like, five, eight yeah, years or so. Like that, yeah. It was really nice. It, um, it was great, actually, to get there because that was one of those festivals that I've been supposed to play there since 2020. Right, yep. <laughs> it got cancelled in 2020, it got cancelled in 2021. 2022, I had some family stuff going on right around that time and I had to cancel. Um, so when 2023 came around, I was like, is it going to happen this year? Yeah. Am I finally going to get there? Um, and I did, which was great. Um, but really nice folk festival, one of these great community run events um, in a small town, really just volunteer powered. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm always blown away by the work that people put in to put these kinds of events on. Um and yeah, it was wonderful. Excellent. Uh, I've said it before on the podcast, but um, community plays such a big part in, well, not just music, but anyone's yeah, lives. Um, and we, we hear about the big festivals, um, mm. but we don't see the magic of these little ones reflected in the media the same way. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, the people that are involved with them, they just seem to get so much out of it themselves mm. and does so much for the community. So I just think, you know, if you've got if you've got the chance to go to some of these small festivals, um, yeah, it seems to be really nice for the punters because you get you get access to the artists as well yeah, in a way that yeah. you don't at these big festivals. Like I was just walking around the festival, seeing other bands and mm. having lots of great chats with people who were who were there. So you really get to interact in a way that um, you don't otherwise. Yeah. Um, and so on your um, progression and exploration as an artist, um, this new single, January Makes Me Sad, um, the producers on it are Jake Finch and was it Colin... Colin Pastor. Pastor, yeah. um, who are known for their work with Boy Genius and Lucy Dacus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I did think listening to this single um, that there was a touch of the Phoebe Bridges production in there as well. 100%, yeah. Um, so, and, and it's been an amazing journey to watch her develop. Yes. I... I first heard one of her songs, uh, Waiting Room, on a, an American college radio mm. um, show um, that, I, that I try and listen to regularly. And I was like, oh, that's an amazing voice. I hope mm. this person goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was that a, like an intentional, uh, did, were you, um, did you have your sights set on working with them as producers? Did you put feelers out to a whole bunch of producers and they were just the ones that uh, came through? What, how did that work for you? Um, I, I did really want to work with them mm. um, and I was going to, I was in the States last year um, for a showcasing conference um, and I thought, you know, if I'm going all the way over there, maybe it's time just to like, you know, um, bite the bullet and reach out to them and see, you know, if they might be interested in working with me and I just kind of like looked up their websites and sent them an email and I was like, oh, never going to hear back from these guys who've been <laughs> working with my idols, you know, but yeah, I sent them a few demos and things and they, they liked what they heard and they said, yeah, great, come over and we'll, we'll, put, we'll put some tracks down. So it all worked out pretty smoothly, mm. but um, 
yeah, it was definitely an intentional thing because um, I loved, yeah, I loved the work they did with Boy Genius um, as well as that Lucy Dacus, most recent um, album by Lucy Dacus um, was produced by them too. So there were, there were two big influences that mm. I wanted to bring into the record, so I thought they'd be a good fit. And on the, uh, the subject of producers, um, some people are, um, have spoken about this on the podcast before. Some people don't sort of understand the role producers can play in a record mm. and uh, how that relationship can be quite important because if, yeah. you, if you're not in the same emotional or headspace mm-hmm. as your producer, yeah. it's not going to be a great experience and you're going to hear that. Yeah. Um, so how would you um, how would you describe this process? Was it daunting, smooth? Mm. Um, are you at a point in your career where you knew what to expect? Or? Um, good, yeah, really good questions. I think working with Jake and Colin was I felt pretty daunted and intimidated by it um, before I went in there because I knew they'd worked with you know some really amazing artists. Um, and as you said, I was a little bit like concerned about the fact that I wanted the vibe to be good between us because mm. I feel like as the person singing the songs and bringing, bringing the songs, especially because my songs tend to be quite personal, um, it can feel pretty vulnerable to sort of be explaining what the song's about and what you want it to, you know, be conveying and how you want it to put together. Um, so if, you know, you don't feel comfortable in that situation, I can imagine that would be really difficult. Um, but they, they actually made it really easy for me. You know, as soon as I got in, you know, we, we'd zoomed before I got over there and I was already like, okay, I think the vibe's going to be okay. Um, but then when I got in there, it was really great. It was actually a studio in Jake's backyard that he, he'd built. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was quite like homey, you know, we could, you know, have, have cups of tea in, in the lounge room and then go out and, and put some tracks down. So, um, it didn't feel too, you know, um, large scale or anything. It felt quite, um, quite manageable in that sense. And they were just both so lovely and friendly and really into it. Mm. Um, that, you know, I kind of didn't think twice about it after that. It felt pretty natural. This many years into your career, you must've had moments when things did go wrong. Mm Um, what are some memorable moments where you had to innovate on the fly, um, things going wrong at shows or in recording sessions or might have to take a minute to think about that one well why you think i'll just uh throw back to uh the episode with steve roach and i talking about uh, us being interrupted mid set at a community festival for the chook raffle to be held (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that sounds familiar i mean i've certainly had lots of gigs where um you know the the footy's been playing on the screen behind you and, you know, somebody drunk has jumped up on stage and grabbed the microphone and started, you know, playing playing percussion, you know, that kind of thing. That's always fun. <laughs> um, nothing's actually springing to mind in terms of, like, a big disaster that I've had to, I've had to deal with. Going back to small-town um, community events, listening to your lyrics, um, there was almost a tinge of sad... Midwest uh, Americana style, and it got me thinking. Well, is this is this a um, a stylistic choice, or is there something in um, your background? You mentioned coming from a small town, so what can you tell us about that as an experience as a creative person growing up? Mm. 
Yeah, I grew up in a pretty small town. Um, and I think that definitely has been a big part of, you know, making me who I am today. Um, and especially, you know, as, as a musician, as a songwriter, because, um, I, it was like something quite different, I guess, you Mm. know, to, to be, uh, you know, playing classical music, um, to be writing songs, um, and so interested in music as I was growing up. Um, that certainly wasn't the norm at the school that I went to, for example. I was really lucky that I had two really good friends who were as crazy about it as I was. And, like, we spent a lot of time cutting class and, you know, going to play guitar behind the portables together. <laughs> so that, you know, I found a little little community there, which was really good. Um, but definitely, like, it was a bit out of the norm, um, what I was interested in. And I don't think, you know, most of most of my other friends probably didn't really get it to some mm. extent. Um, but I guess I was lucky in the sense that um, I didn't feel too, like, sh- it wasn't like I was shunned or anything because of that, you know, like I would play in, I would play my songs in the high school talent competitions and things like that. And people would kind of be like, oh, that's, you know, that's so amazing that you could do that instead of it being, you know, something really uncool or something. Um, So maybe I kind of just like lent into that a little bit. Um, I don't know, but definitely it was always a big part of the plan to get out of that small town and, Mm -hmm. um, and to get to somewhere else where there was, you know, music happening and lots of people making interesting music and things like that. So um, I guess that's a funny... It's just a, a, a thing about growing up in a small town, I guess, that there's there's those people that know they want to leave um, mm. and there's people who, who are pretty sure that they're going to stick around. So, yep. um, Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, yeah, I, I guess that just influences you in some way. And so the journey from there to where you are now, um, this industry uh, takes a lot of resilience. Uh, I don't know if that's a... A good thing or a bad mm. thing, but it's just a fact at this yeah. point in the world. Um, so what are the things that hold you in good stead when you're trying to sort of keep focused and um, keep going? Um, mm. what, what have you learned through all of that experience? Um, I think because I've been doing it for a little while, I've got a better sense of the ups and downs of it, um, both you know, sort of externally from what's happening and, you know, sort of opportunities and things that you get, but also um, my own feelings and my own sort of state of mind about it. I feel like I've gotten a little bit more used to that ride of one day kind of being like, okay, cool, maybe like, yeah, I kind of like the, this song that I wrote, things are kind of going okay, maybe things, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. we're on a good track here, and then the next day kind of imploding and being like, <laughs> I'm a fraud, who am I, I've wasted my life, um, I'm a terrible songwriter, what am I doing? Um, and I feel like the, that kind of cycle of those ups and downs is so regular for me now, right, <laughs> like, okay, cool, okay. I'm back here in that low moment, but it's not going to yeah. last forever, I'll... I'll, you know, all yeah. I have to do is get through this and um, keep doing what I'm doing and I'll get back mm. to that spot where I feel okay about it again. Um, so maybe that's part of that resilience that you're talking about, sort yeah. of understanding that the low points don't last forever. Um, 
But definitely, like, having good people around you, I think, is mm. is a huge part of it. Um, I have a really great band that I play with. Um, I have some, yeah, great people that I, that I work with in my team. And, um, yeah, I think, think, I think you can feel really alone um, as, a, as a solo artist, especially in this business. So having some people around you that you really trust, I think, is super important. Yeah, and being able to at least come to some sort of peace or understanding with the idea of that undulation. Yes. It's not just... Uh, something good for the music industry, but just mental health of for artistic sure. people. Yeah, yeah, and maybe um, everybody, right? Like, I think we all have those ups yeah, and downs. Yeah. But maybe as a um, as an artist, you know, you put so much of yourself into it. So when you do get those rejections, or you don't, you know, not, things don't go as well as you had hoped, you can, it can feel really, really personal. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the new single and um, leading into a new tour incredibly crazily busy again (laughs) for 2024 Uh, but the new single January makes me sad Um, is there anything you want to give us on the background of that one yeah Um, strangely enough um, the la we had the um, the group from the states sharks and minnows in recently or not in or say on zoom Mm -hmm. Um, and their new single is uh, it's Christmas and you hate Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. So January makes me sad. Mm, similar kind of theme, I want to say. Not that I've heard that song, but um, yeah, just that kind of idea um, of the new year. And, you know, it's, it's around this idea that it's January, it's a new year, it's a chance to sort of reinvent yourself. Um, and I always find that I make all these big plans of what I'm going to do that year and how I'm going to, you know, get on top of all these things that I've wanted to get on top of and, you know, exercise regularly and eat well and do all these things to take really good care of myself and do this with my career and do do that. And eventually um, you realise that you're actually just the same person as you were two weeks ago last year. And um, just because we're calling it a new year doesn't mean that you're this whole new person. Um, so, yeah, I usually have a little bit of like a, a bust moment at some point in January um, when I realise that, you know, things haven't really changed from last year. So I'm try- this song is my attempt to sort of come to terms with that and, and sort of tell myself maybe that's okay. And, you know, this year doesn't have to be a revelation from last year. You, you're probably doing all right. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and the quote, Death Cab for Cutie, uh, so this is the new year and I have no resolutions. Yes, I like that. Um, so uh, before you head off to the US again uh, for another, uh, was there at least 10 dates on there, wasn't there? Yeah, I think there's 13, something yeah. like that. Um, what's coming up um, closer to home um, in the next couple of months? Um, I'm trying to keep things a bit more quiet um, in terms of gigging the next couple of months because, yeah, come come February, things are going to get crazy again on the touring side. Um, so I'm really just focusing on writing at the moment. So I'm trying to write for um, a first album. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a bunch of songs that I'm working on, doing a, a lot of demoing at the moment and sort of, yeah, thinking through the, the next steps. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, I'll be putting all of the tour dates um, in the episode description, uh, so you can check on there if um, there's going to be a local show. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to plug with us today, Anna? Um, no, I think you've covered yeah. everything. Thanks, Chris. Um, so the new single will be out 
uh, or f- technically on the 30th of November. Yes. So, um, so we might have a little bit of a snippet in here, but if you want to buy it, which you should, on um, Bandcamp, uh, 30th of November. Um, so thank you so much again for coming in today, Anna. It's just yeah, it's been uh, wonderful. Um, and thank you for your music. Uh, and as always, we sign off with There is Magic in the Mystery of Not Quite Knowing What You Are Doing. Thanks, everyone. Q Playback.